encourage you to get a Bible and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. That's our beginning point, and where we'll take our study this evening is from Hebrews chapter 2, if you will. Beginning at verse 1, Hebrews chapter 2. The Hebrew writer says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. I want us to pay close attention to this phrase, if we neglect so great salvation. That it's altogether possible that any one of us could neglect our great salvation. Let's go back and look now at the context. So if you don't have your Bible open, I encourage you to get your Bible and let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the point is we should give heed to the things that we have heard. Let's go back to verse 1 again. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. That is, the things that these Hebrews have been taught. They had been taught the gospel. They had learned the truth. They had learned about Christ. They had learned about obedience to Christ. They had submitted themselves to the obedience of Christ. They are now discouraged. More about their discouragement later. But in this context, verses 1 through 4, he is saying we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we know to be true, the things that we have received in the revelation of God. Notice verse 2, if that does not take place, then we could possibly drift away. Notice at the end of verse 2, lest we drift away. One translation will say slip. The idea of drifting is a slow, gradual process of going away from God. The idea of slipping is a slow, gradual process away from God. Your footnote in the King James translation, and perhaps the New King James will say, run out, our King James would say, run out as a leaking vessel. Here again is a slow, gradual process if we don't give the more earnest heed. So here's the point. We must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard. Give very careful attention to what you know to be the truth. We'll talk about how we do that in just a moment. But if we don't, there is a danger that we could drift away and do that ever so gradually. Now, at verses 2 through 4, his point is that we cannot escape punishment if we neglect. So notice at verse 2, if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, that is, if that was true, Concerning things of the old covenant, every transgression and every disobedience received its just reward, then how do we think when things are better under the new covenant, how do we think that we can escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So we cannot escape punishment if we neglect our salvation. Now I want you to notice with me in chapter 2 that the warning is to brethren. Notice at verse 2 that the, the writer, or verse 3, the writer talks about we. How shall we escape? The writer includes himself in that. Here is, I think, the Apostle Paul. You may think someone else. But here is an inspired writer saying that if we neglect, we shall, cannot escape. He includes himself in the warning, telling us the danger is real. 
It's not that a few of you that are on the peripherals, y'all might have the danger of neglecting your salvation, but we could neglect our salvation. The warning is not to the world who ignores completely the salvation of God. It is written to brethren who have embraced the salvation. They still could neglect their salvation. Let's talk about the word neglect. This word neglect, let's define the word neglect. What does it mean to neglect our salvation? Perhaps we think of, in some cases, we may think neglect, it means that we're rejecting, we are opposing, we're setting out to destroy our salvation. And that's not the meaning of the word at all. Bedag says it means to be unconcerned. So if we're unconcerned, that means we're neglecting. Leonidas says it means to disregard, to pay no attention to. That we don't pay attention to it as we should. That's the idea of neglecting. Vaughn says it means to make light of. We treat it lightly. We don't treat it with seriousness. And so therefore we are neglecting our salvation. Strong says it means to be careless of. We're not being careful about our salvation, but being careless about our salvation. Therefore, we are neglecting our salvation. Let's talk about how that term is translated throughout the New Testament in a few places. It's, that same word that's translated neglect is translated made light of in Matthew 22 and in verse 5. So here's a case where someone made light of something, and it's the same word, same concept, as neglecting. So it could be that I'm making light of my salvation. It doesn't mean I'm making jokes about it, I'm ridiculing. But it could be the way that I treat my salvation, my relationship to God, I'm treating it as if it's a light or insignificant matter. And so I'm making light of it. Hebrews chapter 9, it is translated disregarded. If we disregard something, we're not giving careful attention, we are neglecting it. Negligent, 2 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 12, and neglect in 1 Timothy 4 and 14, and then our text right here in Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 3. Barnes often says it best. Even though he was not a gospel preacher, he sometimes says it best, and listen carefully to Barnes. He said neglect is enough to ruin a man. A man who is in business need not commit forgery or robbery to ruin himself. He need only to neglect his business and his ruin is certain. A man who is lying on a bed of sickness need not cut his throat to destroy himself. He need only to neglect the means of restoration and he will be ruined. A man floating in a skiff above Niagara need not move an oar or make an effort to destroy himself. He need only to neglect using the oar at the proper time, and he will certainly be carried over the cataract. Most of the calamities of life are caused by simple neglect. By neglect of education, children grow up in ignorance. By neglect of farm, the farm grows up in weeds and briars. By neglect, a house grows to decay. By neglect of sowing, a man will have no harvest. By neglect of reaping, a harvest will, not, will rot in the fields. No worldly interest can prosper where there is neglect. And why may it not be so in religion? There is nothing in earthly affairs that is valuable that will not be ruined if it is not attended to. And why may it not be so with the concerns of the soul? Let no one infer, therefore, that because he is not a drunkard, nor an adulterer, nor a murderer, that therefore he will be saved. 
Such an inference would be irrational, as it would be for a man to infer because he's not a murderer, his farm will produce a harvest, or that because he's not an adulterer, that his merchandise will take care of itself. Salvation would be worth nothing if it costs no effort. There will be no salvation where no effort is put forth. I say, amen. I want to suggest to you that neglecting does not require opposing. And you look at the text, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 3. How can we escape if we neglect our salvation? Neglecting does not demand and require that I oppose salvation, that I am rejecting salvation, or I'm setting out to destroy my soul. I don't get up one morning and decide, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I can to destroy my soul, and therefore I'm neglecting salvation. Neglecting simply means the same thing when we neglect our house, our car, our health, or our, an animal. You think of your house and you neglect it. You're not giving it the attention you should. That in finally, in time, it falls in disrepair. The same thing with a car. The same thing with your truck. The same thing with your health. The same thing with an animal. It all goes in disrepair. Neglect doesn't, it doesn't cre uh, create sudden changes. You look at the picture of this house that is now beginning to fall down, not falling down because someone decided, I'm going to destroy this house, I'm going to knock all the, the, uh, the studs loose so that it begins to fall. It's just been neglected over the years, obviously. Well, that didn't come about all of a sudden. It takes a number of years for it to reach that point. This truck has not been something that a sudden change came about, but neglect over time, the change came about. So here's the point. When I neglect my salvation, it's not something that I'm going to see a change from yesterday to today, or maybe even from last year to this year, or maybe even from a few years ago to now, but over a period of time, there's going to be changes. Go back to your text again in Hebrews chapter 2. If we don't give the morning's heed to the things that we have heard, then we could slip away. That is, we drift away. We gradually go away from the things that we know to be true. So let's talk about neglecting our salvation tonight. And the question is, how could we neglect our salvation? How could I be guilty of that? And one of the best ways to know the answer to that question is go to the context of the book where the author makes that point to see the warnings that he gives to those to whom he writes. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Let's go back to chapter 2 and let's start there. Here's one of the ways. We can neglect our salvation by not giving the more earnest heed. We can neglect our salvation by not giving the more earnest heed. Now let's notice the contrast in the context at verse 3. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. Now notice the contrast, lest we drift away. If we're drifting away, we're not giving the more earnest heed. For if the word spoken by angels was proved steadfast and every transgression received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect? The neglecting of our salvation is in contrast to giving the more earnest heed. So if I'm not giving the more earnest heed, I'm neglecting my salvation. Now let's talk a little more about giving the more earnest heed. What does that mean? The English Standard and the New American Standard Translation says pay much closer attention to the things that you have heard. So here is the revelation of God. Here are the things that I've heard. We can pay attention to it, but not pay close attention to it. We can acknowledge that, but then we don't pay close attention to that. So the text is saying, pay closer attention to the things that we have heard. Give them more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Let's jump over to the book of James, if you will. James chapter 1. 
And verses 21 to 25, we'll take a couple of uh, passages at James chapter 1 in our study this evening. That we are to do, be doers of the word and not mere hearers of the word. Look at verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I can deceive myself into thinking I'm doing the right thing because I've been listening to the truth and I embrace the truth. I acknowledge it as the truth, but I'm not a doer of the truth. I'm not giving the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard. We'll come back to James chapter 2 in just a moment. It might be that I'm giving, not giving the more earnest heed because I'm not taking preventative measures. I'm not giving the more earnest heed, the more careful attention to my salvation because I'm not taking preventative measures like maybe maintenance on a car or maintenance on a house. Maybe there's nothing wrong with the car, but I just don't change the oil. Maybe there's nothing wrong with the car, but I'm not checking the tires to see if they're wearing out. And so here's some regular maintenance that I might do to maintain that car, to keep it in good shape. And so I'm just not doing preventative maintenance. Maybe it's the same thing with the house. Maybe it's the same thing with my health. Maybe I'm just not checking on my blood pressure as I should. Maybe I'm not checking on my cholesterol as I should. And so I'm not maintaining my health. And so therefore my health becomes in disrepair again. But let's notice in Ephesians chapter 6, it could be that we're not watching for the dangers that we should. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, this is in the context of putting on the whole armor of God and fighting against the wiles of the schemes of the devil. He's out to destroy us. And so we need to have preventative maintenance. Notice at verse 18, as we list the, the pieces of the armor of God, quite often we leave out prayer because prayer is one of the pieces of the armor. And praying always with all prayer and supplication, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. One of the things we do in prayer is being watchful. We pray that the temptation may not come or that the temptation would be alleviated. Or that we'll not yield to that temptation. That we become stronger. We're becoming watchful and careful in all of our observations in prayer. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians, if you will. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. And in verse 6. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, and in verse 6. Let those, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. In other words, don't be asleep and in, uh, inattentive to your spiritual needs, to your soul's needs, to your salvation's need, but let us watch and be sober, he says. And so we ought to be watching for dangers, watching for doctrine that may corrupt our spirit, watching for temptations that may corrupt our souls, watching for influences that may lead us astray. Here's another area in which we may not be giving the more in his teeth, by ignoring problems that need attention. It's like maybe ignoring the knock in the engine. You've been driving your car for a while and you keep hearing a knock, but you ignore that. And you keep hearing that knock and you ignore it. And you know it needs some attention, but you're not paying any attention to that. You just ignore that until finally the engine locks up and then you're frustrated because your car won't run. Now why is it your car won't run? Well, because you didn't give attention to problems that were beginning to show that you maybe could have corrected very easily. Or it may be like a house that there's a water spot on the ceiling and you ignore that. And you keep ignoring it, and finally one day the ceiling falls in, and you're frustrated because you don't have a ceiling anymore. But you kept ignoring that spot on the ceiling, and there was a leak in the bathroom upstairs, and now you've lost your ceiling. That maybe could have been prevented if you'd done a little bit of seeing to a problem that has been created. Or maybe it's like ignoring that pain in the chest. And so you have a pain in your chest, and you keep ignoring that, and you keep putting it off, and finally you have a heart attack because you are 
you're ignoring problems that need some attention. Well, there are some things that we need to give attention to. Look at James chapter 1. I said we'd come back to James chapter 1. There are times that we see a problem, and then we just walk away from the problem, and then we don't do anything about that. James chapter 1. We were at verse 22 just a moment ago. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes himself in a mirror. Now verse 24, and he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What's the point? It's like looking into the mirror and you see something that needs to be done. You see food on your face. You see food between your teeth and then you go away and forget what person you saw. You ignore the problem and you never correct the problem at all. And we sometimes do that with sin. We take a look at the Word of God and we see there's a problem in my life and I, don't, and I walk away from that without making any changes. I'm ignoring problems that need attention. But let's notice something else in the context of the book in chapter 3. We're still talking about not giving them earnest heed. How is it that I might not be giving them earnest heed? One is by delaying obedience or delaying compliance. I've heard the word of God. I've heard the explanation of the word of God. I see that and I embrace it for myself. I recognize it as being the truth, but I'm just putting off my obedience and my compliance therewith. Look at chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews and in verse 7. He says, today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's quoting now from Psalm 95, but the application is to these Hebrews. Don't put off your obedience and your compliance with the will. Look at verse 13. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sins. Again, it may be like plans to see about the leak in the bathroom. I know there's a leak there, and I've got plans to see about that. I'm going to, I plan to, I need to. And someone calls attention that said, you notice there's a leak in, on the ceiling there, and I think there's a leak in that bathroom upstairs. Well, I know that, and I'm going to fix that. I'm, I'm planning to. I'm going to get around to that, but I just haven't got around to doing that. And so I'm neglecting by putting off my compliance with what I know I need to do. We do that spiritually sometimes. So how could I be neglecting my salvation, Hebrews 2 and in verse 3? Well, it's in contrast to neglecting that he's giving the more his heed. It might be that I'm, that I'm not taking preventative measures. It may be that I'm ignoring problems that need attention. Or it may be that I'm going to do it, but I'm delaying my compliance to the will of God. Let's go to chapter 4 now. This is the same book that talks about neglecting salvation, chapter 2 and in verse 3. When I come to chapter 4 now, at verse 11, he said, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. One of the ways in which I might neglect my salvation is by not being diligent. Now let's talk about the context of chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, gives a warning not to fail as Israel of old failed. Chapter 3 hints at this before. I say hints at it. It actually develops the thought in chapter 3 and then comes into it again in chapter 4. And that is Israel of old. They came out of Egypt. And they wandered and they, they murmured and they grumbled and they were disobedient in the wilderness. And they fell before they entered the promised land. And now there remains a rest for the people of God. What I want you to notice is at verse 2, that Israel heard, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word that they heard did not profit, that, profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. In other words, they heard the message of God, they understood the message of God, they knew what God required of them, but they didn't submit in faith. And so because they didn't submit in faith, Israel was not profited by that at all. Now here's the point. Be diligent lest we fall after that same example of disobedience. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. 
Don't be like Israel of old. They came out of their waters and entered into the wilderness, but they didn't make it to their promised land. The same thing could happen to you. That's his warning at verse, verse 11. Now I want you to notice at verses 12 and 13, notice the next word, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word for says, here's the reason you should be diligent. Why should I be so diligent to make sure that I'm doing what I ought to be doing? Because God sees all and he knows all. Go back now to verse 12. For the word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and the joints in the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What do you mean the discerner and thoughts and intents of the heart? Verse 13, there is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes with him with whom we give an account. God sees all and he knows all, therefore we ought to be diligent lest we fall just like Israel of old fell. Now let's talk about diligence here at verse 11. The King James says, let us labor. That suggests work and action and effort. In other words, salvation is not something that I just, okay, God offers it to me and I embrace it. But it doesn't require me to do any work. It doesn't require me to put forth any effort. It doesn't require any action on my part. But labor, and you work and you put effort, you labor and work, verse 11, to enter into that rest. In other words, you put every ounce of energy into that. You put everything you have into seeking your salvation and to be diligent to enter into that rest. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. This is one of the most familiar passages to us. It talks about adding to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, temperance, patience, etc. Though adding and developing those Christian graces. But in that middle, uh, in the middle here, we have this adding to our faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge. But sandwiching that in, in the middle is two warnings or exhortations about being diligent, doing the best you can, doing all you can do, putting every ounce of energy into that. Look at verse 5. Giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge. Now, after he gives the list, look at verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Put everything you have into growing and developing. You see, we're neglecting our salvation if we're not giving it our all. Are you giving it your all? You say, I'm not neglecting salvation. I haven't rejected it. I, I have, I'm not out to destroy my soul. But are you giving it everything you can? If you're not, perhaps you may be neglecting. But let's go again. Let's throw this back in the context. The same book that talks about ne neglecting our salvation, chapter 2, tells us we must give the morning's heed. That same book tells us that we ought to be diligent. But how could I be neglecting my salvation? One is by failing to grow as the Hebrews had failed in chapter 5. So let's go back to our context of the book. Let's go to chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and have, become, and have come to need the milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary principles of the uh, principles of Christ, let us go to perfection, go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, to the laying on of hands, the resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment. 
All right, now let's see what we just saw in that context of chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. One of the ways in which we may neglect our salvation is by failing to grow. One is by failing to grow in knowledge. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need that someone teach you. In other words, they should have grown and developed that they have knowledge of the will of God well enough that they can relay that knowledge to others, but they're not at that point. They haven't developed to that point. They haven't grown to that point that they're able to take what they know and, and, or what they've heard and teach it to other people. So one of the ways in which we may fail to grow is we fail to grow in knowledge. But maybe that we fail to retain what we once knew. Look at chapter 5, verse 12b. You have need that one teach you again the first principles. Not teach you again the meat, that difficult section that's been explained and you forgot the explanation. That's not what he's talking about. Here are the basic elements of the first principles. You need to be taught that again. You didn't retain what you'd already taught, been taught and what you'd learned. Doesn't mean that we don't or not have good clear memory, but we have forgotten the very basics. So I may fail to grow because I failed to retain what I once knew. Didn't make use of that. Look at verse 13. It may be that I failed to advance beyond the basics. Some people grasp the basics, the elementary principles. They know about baptism. They know about the one church. They know about Lord's Supper on the Lord's Day. They know that adultery is wrong, and they know that fornication is wrong, and they know that drinking is wrong. They know some of the basic elements that Jesus is the Son of God. And they understand maybe the difference between the church and denominationalism. They've got the basics, but they don't go any further than that. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13 of chapter 5. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. He hasn't got beyond the basics. That's all he's grasping. That's all he's understanding. Look at chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance. Well, he talks about some elementary things that he calls the foundation of the first principles. Here's the foundation. It's now time to build on the house. It's like building a house. You have a foundation. And what if your contractor laid the foundation, and when he gets through, he lays the foundation again, and when he gets through with that, he gives emphasis to the foundation again, and he never builds the house. You never have a house at all. And so here is the principle of going beyond the foundation and the first principles. Sometimes we never advance beyond the basics. And therefore, we, we fail to grow. Look at verse 14. It may be we fail to grow in the use and the application of what we've heard. Notice at verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That is, they can make some application. They know the difference between what's good and what's evil, between what's right and what's wrong. How do they do that? From the knowledge they have of the word. They can take the word and they can read it and understand, and I know that's wrong and I know this is right. I know this is commanded and I know that one's not. And so here's the point. Some people fail to grow in how to use and apply the word. They may know what the word says, but they don't know how to make application of that. Sometimes we're content to remain as we are. We may not be striving to improve or advance. Remember, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. By the way, every one of those are things that are relative in their nature. Meaning you have not advanced, nor any of us have advanced to the point that we're perfect in knowledge and perfect in love and we're perfect in, in patience, etc. That means I have room to strive to grow and be more patient. I have room to strive and have more knowledge. I have room to strive and become more temperate and have more love. So the point is, I need to be striving to improve and advance in all of those areas. I need to be striving to know more. 
2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and the knowledge. You remember the context of that? Where people take the scriptures and they take it out of its context. And verse 18 is basically saying, learn the text in its context. You may know what a verse says, but what is it saying in the context? That's a different story. You may take a verse and you've heard it quoted, but you don't know the context perhaps. So it may be that I'm content just to know where that verse is, but I'm not striving to know the text in its context so I have more familiarity with the text. I may not be striving to become more pleasing to God. That's growing in the grace of the Lord, 2 Peter 3 and 18. It may be that I'm not striving to have more wisdom. I'm content with what I know. I'm content with what I have. It may be that I'm not striving to be more mature, like verse 14 talked about. That, I, that I'm, I'm, I'm content with where I am. I'm not wanting to be more mature spiritually. I don't want to be more mature at all. I'm just content with where I am. And it may be that I'm failing to grow and I'm neglecting my salvation. But here's the fourth way. Same book, same context. Remember chapter 2 and verse 3 talks about neglecting your salvation. Now we're at chapter 10. One of the ways that might be done is by forsaking the assembly. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. What I want to suggest to you is you don't have to abandon the assembly to forsake or to neglect. You don't have to abandon the assembly, meaning that I've quit going to church altogether. Quite often when, when you talk to someone who is not attending as they ought, their response is, well, I haven't quit. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. I haven't quit. I want to suggest you, you don't have to abandon to forsake or neglect. It could be a one-time or an occasional thing. Do you remember when Jesus said, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Same word. Didn't have to go over and over and over and over and over again to be called forsaking. It might be that I could attend more, I just don't. It might be that I could attend better, I just don't. And I might be neglecting my salvation. Now what is it that we miss? Well, when I neglect and I miss, I'm missing the praise and the worship of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, 19. You're familiar with this text in Ephesians 5 and the instruction for praising God in worship. Chapter 5 and verse 19 says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual song, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I miss out on that. I miss out on the edification from the word as the word is taught. Paul argued in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5, that one is not edified by something like the matter of speaking in tongues if there's no interpretation, but you would be edified by prophecy. Of course, that's in the days of spiritual gifts. Why is it that prophecy edifies? Because it gives you the revelation from God. Paul would say in Acts chapter 2 and verse 32 to the elders at Ephesus, I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, he said. Strengthen you. We miss the encouragement we get from others. Did you notice in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews and in verse 24, let us consider one another to stir up love into good works. That is, we encourage and we provoke. And then in the very next verse, there must be a direct connection, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We miss the uplifting that we receive from the songs where we're singing and speaking to one another as well as speaking and praising our God. You see, when I forsake the assembly, I might be neglecting my salvation. Well, I haven't abandoned it. I haven't tried to kill my soul. All I've done is just neglected my salvation. Here's another way. Chapter 12 now. Same book, same writer. They talked about neglecting our salvation in chapter 2. When I come to chapter 12 now, in verses 1 through 3, he talks about not laying aside sin. 
Let's read verses 1 to 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does easily ensnare us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's far enough to establish our point. Here the writer gives an illustration in a picture of a runner who forgets or neglects to remove things that weigh him down. Can you imagine running a race? And the less you weigh and the less weight you have on you and the less baggage you have, the better you can run and the further and the faster you can run. And can you imagine a runner forgetting the fact that he has things in his pocket? And those training weights he has around his ankle he forgot to take off. And maybe there's other things he has on him as a belt that's heavy and he forgot to take that loose. And now he tries to run his race and he is hindered. What sin does is it hinders us. So go back to chapter 12 and verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight in sin that this will easily ensnare us. Sometimes we're trying to carry baggage with us as we're running our race. And so here, sin hinders us. How does it hinder us? Well, it separates us from God. Sin, when it is finished, it brings forth death, a separation from God. It brings eternal separation. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It hinders our influence, like it did with the Jews, with the Gentiles. They blaspheme the name of God because of you. Chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, it hinders our prayers. So that God no longer hears and answers our prayers. So you see, it may be that there is a sin you're having a hard time letting go. And as you're trying to run the Christian race, here is a sin. You're, you can get easily get rid of this sin and, and that sin and another sin. But here's one you want to hold on to. You just can't turn loose of. Let me give you an example of that. At Corinth. Let's think of the background of the people at Corinth. At Corinth, fornication was prevalent. I mean, it was quite prevalent. I'm talking about before they became Christians. You've heard it mentioned many times that there were a thousand prostitutes serving David at the temple of Aphrodite. To be called a Corinthian girl was to be called a, a, a prostitute. It was very common. In fact, it was rampant. And throughout Corinth, there would be fornication, there would be homosexuality, all kinds of corruption. Well, chapter 6 seems to argue for the fact, beginning at verse 12, and I'm going to paraphrase, and you can go back and check the text. Paul addresses the sin of fornication in chapter 6. Now, this is after they've obeyed the gospel. After they've given up their sin. It seems that there were some who were trying to justify fornication. How so? Well, let's go to verse 12. All things are lawful to me. I'm reading chapter 6, verse 12. All things are not expedient. All things are lawful. We will not be not brought under the power of any. His point is, let's just take even if it's lawful, it was, it's not profitable Notice at verse 13, foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods, God will destroy both it and them. That seems to be an argument that he's responding to that some were saying just like food is to satisfy the body, so then fornication is to satisfy the desires. He seems to be responding to some argument that some were making to justify fornication as if here is some sin I can't turn loose of and I can't let go. I don't want to let it go. I don't want to turn loose of that. So here's the point. By failing to let go of some sin, I might be neglecting my salvation. What is it in your life that you say, I can let go of any sin, but this one I'm just, I'm holding on to. I just can't let it go. I can't turn it loose. I might be neglecting my salvation. Let's go to chapter 12 and verse 12 for our last point. Same book, same writer that said in chapter 2, the warning of neglecting our salvation talked about being discouraged. Chapter 12 and verse 12. You remember this in chapter 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees. That is one well, of the most clear descriptions of, of 
discouragement in all of the Bible of hands hanging down and the knees getting feeble. They're discouraged, they're getting weary. They're about ready to throw up their hands and quit, perhaps. Now, the context, that is the book itself, the entire book, not just chapter 12, but the context of the entire book, is dealing with people who are discouraged by opposition. That's what the book is about. Judaizing teachers are putting pressure upon them to go back into Judaism, give up their faith in Christ, and go back and serve under the law. And so the context of the book is they are greatly discouraged by opposition. The point of the book is to encourage them. How does he encourage them? With two points. Chapters 1 through 9 make the point, you're on the right way. Christ is the right way. Christ is better than prophets. He's better than angels, etc., etc. Christ is the right way. Chapters 10 through 13 is keep on and don't give up. So you're on the right course. Don't let anyone turn you away from that course, but you keep on that course and don't give up. That's the point of the book. It's a book of encouragement. Don't give up. You're on the right course. Now, I want to suggest to you that when we are discouraged, like the Hebrews perhaps were, when we get discouraged, it's easy to wonder, what's the use? What's the use? When you get discouraged, maybe about your health, you may just give up. What's the use in going back to the doctor? They're not finding the problem. What's the use of even going back? You get discouraged. If you've got a car that's beginning to develop problems and you take it to the mechanic and they can't, you didn't get it fixed and you take it back and they didn't get it fixed and you take it back, you finally say, you know what, what's the use? I'm not taking it again. We do that spiritually. What's the use? I'm discouraged. Might as well throw up my hands and quit. It's easy to forget about our responsibilities when we're discouraged. And so we begin to neglect. It's easy to fail to work hard when we are discouraged. You see, when you're encouraged, you're, you're working hard. You're pressing further. You're pressing harder. You're seeing progress. When you're not seeing progress, you're discouraged. It's easy to neglect as we would a house or a car. You get discouraged with the house, you neglect what you need to do. You get discouraged with the car, it's easy to neglect. You get discouraged with an animal, it's easy to neglect what you need to do. And thus we neglect our salvation. Let's go back to chapter two and in verse three one last time. The apostle Paul says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? It's altogether possible that I could be neglecting my salvation. How could I do that? How is that done? Well, the context of the book says we could neglect it by not giving the more earnest heed. We could neglect it by not being diligent, chapter 4 and verse 11. I could be neglecting my salvation by not growing as I should. I fail to develop and I fail to grow. It might be that I'm forsaking the assembly and I'm not assembling as I should. Or it may be that I'm not laying aside the sin that easily ensnares me. Or it may be that I'm becoming discouraged and I'm neglecting my salvation. Are you neglecting your salvation? You don't have to set out to destroy it. You don't have to be opposed to it. You don't have to do anything. Just don't give any attention at all. Just neglect part of it, and you're neglecting your salvation. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come? All together we stand, and while we sing.